This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. it out. He steals and hands it off to Eichel who races into the Florida zone. Not only is Eichel out on the bench, he's taking a normal shift. Comes up with a puck, finds a man all alone in front. Barchisso scores! So not only is Eichel playing, but he's making plays. 5-1 Vegas. It was a dominant game two performance for the Vegas Golden Knights. Former Florida Panther, Jonathan Marcheseau. Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, they all led the way as the Vegas Golden Knights once again held strong, beat Sergei Bobrovsky, and find themselves now up two games to none, heading to Florida for game three in this Stanley Cup final. Welcome to the program. It is Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. A busy show coming up for you on this Tuesday. Obviously, lots of chatter around last night's dominant performance for the Vegas Golden Knights. How can the Florida Panthers get back into this one? Who's the Game 3 starting goaltender? We'll talk about all of that as the day goes on. Jays with an uninspiring series opener against the Houston Astros. Alec Manoa continues to struggle. We'll check in on the Blue Jays later this hour with Show Ali from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. And still to come in hour two today, we got a WPCA report for you. Checking on the Chucks and a Stamps report with Matty Rose and Patrick Dumas as we get closer to kickoff on Thursday night. Week one action, the CFL gets going with the Calgary Stampeders and the BC Lions live from McMahon Stadium. But before we get to any of that, we begin the show with breaking news. The NHL offseason has been a roller coaster of moves with coaches and GMs on the move, but teams eliminated from the playoffs can get into uh, a few major blockbusters as well. And we saw our first blockbuster of the NHL's offseason coming together in the last few moments here. Uh, Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada, and David Pegnota from the first, fourth period, excuse me, uh, have been all over this one the last 20 minutes or so. Um, but here's the gist of it is a three-team deal between the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Philadelphia Flyers, and the LA Kings. Uh, not official yet. We're expecting some more pieces to be added to this. But it looks like the basis of this deal is Ivan Provorov, has been traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Defenseman Sean Walker and goaltender Cal Peterson from the LA Kings will move to the Philadelphia Flyers. And the Kings are expected to retain 30% of Ivan Provorov's deal in this trade, which would help them open up some cap space 
towards a Vladislav Gavrikov extension. Uh, again, David Pagnota from the fourth period says we're expecting um, a, a little bit here when it comes to uh, some minor league players that might be involved in this as well. But the basis of the deal, Provorov to Columbus, defenseman Walker, goaltender Peterson to Philadelphia, and a 30% salary retention on Provorov's deal with the LA Kings. And you might think that that's uh, the basis of the, the major news that we're going to see today. Uh, that might just be the start of it. The Philadelphia Flyers might not be done yet. Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period, along with David Pagnota, uh, now moments ago reporting that the Flyers are also working on a trade involving goaltender Carter Hart. So let that sink in for you as well. Pagnota clearly stating that it's not at the finish line, but like the Provorov deal, Philly is actively on it. So two members of the fourth period uh, reporting that Carter Hart likely to be moved by the Philadelphia Flyers today. That is just news coming down right now. Uh, to add on to what we heard already from the Provorov deal uh, is that with Cal Peterson now in town in Philadelphia, sounds as though they might uh, be working on a deal involving Carter Hart. Wow. Uh, absolutely massive news uh, out of Philly. <laughs> Clearly GM Daniel Briere uh, keen to make changes there. And if a 24-hour period exists where Ivan Provorov is out the door and Carter Hart is out the door. I would say uh, mission accomplished for Danny Briere. In case you're just joining us right off the top of the show right now, we will get to some Stanley Cup final reaction in a moment, but we're uh, awaiting official word on a trade between three teams, Columbus, LA, and Philly, which will see Ivan Provorov traded, to the Philadelphia, uh, traded from the Philadelphia Flyers to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Flyers will then uh, acquire Walker and Peterson from L.A. Kings will retain 30% of Ivan Provorov's deal in this three-team trade. Uh, and David Pagnone of the fourth period now indicating that a Carter Hart deal uh, actively in the works for the Philadelphia Flyers. So perhaps more news to come from the Philadelphia Flyers as the day goes on. We will obviously monitor that situation very closely but let's let's dive into the trade that is nearing uh completion that's the Provorov deal um it, it's interesting it takes that extra step now that we think that the Flyers are, are going to be moving on from Carter Hart um yeah from a Philly perspective trying to to wonder what a, a Hart deal looks like where he might wind up. There's a number of teams, obviously, that you look at who would be interested in a, a long-term goaltending project. I guess not a project, but a long-term goaltending asset like Carter Hart. Uh, I mean, this could be talking about a full sort of teardown mode if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, your top defenseman. A 26-year-old, uh, Ivan Provorov, moved out the door. Carter Hart has one year left on his deal at 24 years old. 3.979 against the cap this season. 
and a restricted free agent into next year. Obviously, a few other guys on their list of forwards making you know a good chunk of change. Farabee. Have Kevin Hayes' name's been around the trade market for a while. Travis Konechny's another name there. Just a, a massive move for them, but obviously for the Columbus Blue Jackets, an interesting move today and a move that it was interesting because we talked about that piece brought up by Julian McKenzie, our pal at The Athletic, who um, with Aaron Portsline from Columbus had, you know, just talked about the fact that, you know, maybe there's a, a Columbus Calgary trade that would make sense for the third overall pick for Elias Lindholm. And that was something that was, that was floated about the main opponents to that deal told you, well, Columbus isn't, isn't in contending mode right now. They just finished the season near the bottom. They could have won the draft lottery very easily. Uh, why would they make that deal? And I think today is another clear indication that Columbus does not see themselves as a rebuilding team. And I I didn't think they were a rebuilding team as soon as they signed. You don't sign Johnny Gaudreau to that kind of contract if you're Columbus and go into rebuilding mode where it's going to take three or four years, the best three or four years perhaps of Johnny Gaudreau's career, and suddenly put it into rebuild mode. This is a clear indication from the Columbus Blue Jackets they are in win-now mode. You can make a case that um, there's still a lot of work to be done there, but you go out, you get Provorov, add it to a defense that has <clears throat> Adam Boquist, Eric and Branson, of course. Your front end still with some young players. Uh, Kent Johnson's there. Cole Sillinger's there. We obviously know about Johnny Gaudreau there. Pretty clear indication of where the Columbus Blue Jackets are heading, even with that third overall pick. They are clearly in win-now mode. And the LA Kings seems like a pretty... Easy move for them to make. Phoenix Copley was the guy for them down the stretch. Goaltending will still be an interesting question for them, but they were pretty keen on keeping uh, Vladislav Gavrikov around after acquiring him from Columbus at last year's trade deadline and uh, moving up the $5 million per season for Peterson and the 2.65 of defenseman Sean Walker will give them the kind of cap room that they need to bring in Gavrikov. Uh, Gavrikov, excuse me. Uh, so that's the uh, the latest right now. Uh, the three-team trade coming down. Provorov to Columbus. Walker and Peterson to Philly. And the LA Kings retaining um, 30% of, Ga- of um, Provorov's deal, which has two years remaining on it. And uh, David Pagnota, again, of the fourth period, uh, talking about uh, a potential Carter Hart move in the mix uh, as the day continues. So what a day it's been. Uh, we'll head to the text line, 960-960, because uh, it's already awakened on <laughs> the fan feedback line. Always open to you. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is uh, a busy day. Uh, first one comes in and says, Blockbuster, question mark? I- I think it's a, a blockbuster deal. Ivan Provorov's a 26-year-old uh, defenseman in this league. And um, personal business aside, for any team like the Philadelphia Flyers to move a guy like that off of their roster 
is a, is a pretty big deal and a pretty big indication for what the Columbus Blue Jackets are uh, are doing. Uh, our pal Matt and Cochran texting in, Philly's such a goalie graveyard. Hopefully Hart can bounce back in his new landing spot. And this is a weird one. Um, That's not a guy I would be moving on from if I was the Philadelphia Flyers. I still think at 24 years old, Carter Hart has a ton of potential. And I would expect a massive return if that does wind up happening. But yeah, Matt's not wrong in the sense that Seems like every time Philadelphia goes down this goaltending route, um, it doesn't matter if it's Carter Hart or Breeze Galloff or go down the list. It, it always seems to end up bad there, at least in the last couple decades for sure. Uh, this one says, do you think this means Columbus is more interested in the Lindholm trade? I don't know. I always thought they would be if that's a possibility. Uh, I went back and had that conversation when the initial – article had come out and said, yeah, I think it's one that makes sense. Um, you obviously have to gauge interest if you're Craig Connor and the Flames about what Lindholm wants to do, but it's a pretty clear win-now indication for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and um, as this text came in and said too, Babcock alone is a big indication uh, for them that they're not going to be a developmental team uh, in Columbus. Yeah, Mike Babcock probably not coming back to the league, looking out uh, to try to find a way uh, and then being the 30th team overall, he's going to want to come back and find a way for this team to be a contender. Maybe that happens. Uh, a couple more at 960-960. Uh, this one says, I don't get it. What do the Kings get out of this? Right now, the Kings are getting cap space out of this. Uh, Peterson's deal coming in, like I mentioned, might surprise some people. If you weren't aware, he's at $5 million per season. Uh, and Sean Walker at 2.65, so that's 7.65 out the door for the Kings. They're only retaining 30% of Provorov, um, which is at 6.75. So they're gaining a lot of cap space, and it sure sounds like they're going to use that cap, cap space almost immediately to get Gavrikov on a new deal, which they wouldn't have been able to do uh, with those two salaries on the books. Uh, so right now, that's what it seems like the, the Kings are going for, uh, but we'll see. Uh, let's see here. What did Columbus have to give up? Uh, basically, just say, yeah, Columbus gives up pretty much nothing in this deal. Now, that's the initial report. Pegnota has said from the fourth period, we're expecting some minor league bodies to be moved uh, once this deal is 100% official. But yeah, as of right now, Columbus is essentially just getting Provorov uh, for almost nothing from Columbus. Uh, works out well for, for L.A. to get cap space. But, yeah, the Flyers the only one taking on significant cap space with this. Uh, this one says, duh, 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 duh. Uh, about Markstrom for Hart? Uh, this one says, now that Philly is in full fire sale, Mo, how about connecting to Calgary? Wife is from Calgary and calls Calgary his offseason home. Uh, I can pretty much tell you with certainty, I know the last regime here in Calgary led by Brad Treliving, uh, was always interested in Travis Konechny, that there had always been uh, a bit of that. He's just he's a, a really natural fit uh, in Travis Konechny. 26 years old, $5.5 million against the cap hit. Uh, he's the right shot. He's a tenacious forward. Uh, he scored 30 goals just this last season. It would be an expensive acquisition, no doubt. If you're the Flyers, you'd be looking to pick up some assets, but if Daniel Briere has made the decision to go full rebuild, which you might be getting that indication today from these moves, um, 
why not explore that? I'm sure a lot of teams would have that same inclination, but yeah, if you were the Calgary Flames or anybody else wondering what the Flyers are doing today, I think it would be worth a phone call uh, for sure. Uh, so we're just reacting right now uh, to the initial news of the day, and that is a massive three-team trade between the Flyers, the Blue Jackets, and the LA Kings. Still waiting on details from this. This is not the final version of the trade. Um, uh, we'll get more details. We'll start to understand a bit more, and it sounds like we're getting more details on that now. Because uh, I know a couple of people had said, what if Columbus give up here? It doesn't sound like they did anything. It sounds like Columbus is going to send LA's first round pick to Philly in this deal. Um, that's just coming down right now. And I uh, apologize. We're just trying to react to the news and get it to you as soon as we can. So as soon as little tidbits um, get broken by the <laughs> insiders, we bring them to you here uh, live on the radio or if you're listening on the podcast. So. We are scouring for details right now. Yeah, we're doing our best. Uh, we're absolutely trying to to figure out what's happening here. But um, a three-team trade, you know there was going to be more coming down. So it does sound like Columbus is going to have to give up a, uh, a first-round pick in this uh, to acquire Provorov. So the Flyers will get, uh, the LA, uh, ironically, LA's first-round pick, which belongs to Columbus because of the Gavrikov trade. It's all a full circle. That's what I'm coming to understand here, Cam, is that these three teams are just working this massive trade circle that began with Gavrikov and now yeah. is just filling out with other pieces from the deal. Yeah, all the all the pieces are getting moved around. Everyone's kind of, you know, you help me, I'll help you. It all works out, I think. So initially, and again, just as uh, this might change, let's keep this in mind. Uh, first round pick from... Columbus, not the third overall pick, but the pick that they got from L.A. in the Gavrikov trade, now goes to Philly. Provorov goes to Columbus. L.A. is going to re-sign Gavrikov. Walker and Peterson also going to Philadelphia, but from the L.A. side of things. So uh, it's been a busy, busy start to the show. And adding to that, that uh, Peg Nona still thinks that um, Carter Hart's getting traded. Uh, sometimes in the sometime in the near future, we could have an absolute ton to talk about today. That uh, that Columbus pick via LA is projected to be about twenty second overall in the first round. Yeah, that's locked in. That'll be locked in at that at that spot. So, um, so yeah, a decent later pick, but yeah, still uh, still not uh, finally gives you something that Columbus had to give up in the trade. We were finally wondering what that was going to look like, or if they were just going to get Provorov. Uh, for a song from Philly, but it sounds like they would have to give up at least some asset in the form of a first-round pick. We will get you more details as they come down. We'll obviously keep an eye on any Carter Hart news, but let's jump back in uh, to last night, the Stanley Cup Final, Game 2 from L, uh, from Las Vegas. Uh, the Golden Knights with pure domination last night, 7-2, your final score. They chase off Sergei Bobrovsky. Alex Lyon has to come into the net. It's a uh, really complete 60 minute effort from the Florida uh, from the Vegas Golden Knights who just have looked like the better team in this series they haven't bit uh when it comes to the antics or some of the after the whistle stuff uh the refs have been very quick as we get late into the games that they're just going to send guys off they're not going to deal with the the after the whistle antics from both sides 
Uh, a lot of game misconducts handed out last night. And uh, right now the bigger story is the Florida Panthers' inability to stop the offense uh, from raining down from the Vegas Golden Knights. And now we await Thursday's Game 3 of this series, um, seeing what sort of reaction the Panthers might have. Will we see a goaltending change? Will we perhaps see a change in the lineup if Radko Gudis can't come back into the games uh, later this series? Lots on the line right now for Florida as they are now down 2 nothing in this series. But for the Golden Knights, it's been pretty close to a dream start. And uh, Bruce Cassidy talked about the victory for his team last night uh, after the win and uh, just went through a, a lot of different aspects post-game as to what's gone right for his team. Here is Bruce Cassidy discussing his team's victory uh, post-game last night in Las Vegas. Uh, Bruce, you said game six against Dallas might have been your best game of the playoffs. Where does this one rank? Yeah, I think to still get that game six was probably our benchmark for the season. This was very good. Our start was good. We finished some plays, which helps. Got a big save on the breakaway early. Uh, we had a good ozone shift, so it wasn't like we had a big breakdown. It's a good play by them to sneak away. Um, got the save, and then special teams were good. We need them to be. Then you get to 4 nothing, and, you know, after the second period, I think you, there was parts there we might have lost our competitive edge for some shifts. And you got to be real careful of that this time of the year. Um, it's not a January game where the team's moving on to their next opponent, so are we. So we talked about that between periods. And so I liked our game, obviously. We're, there's still things we'll look at that we know we can do better. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, it's a good performance by us. Our guys were ready to play. Front left. Jesse Granger at The Athletic. Um, how worried were you when Jack left the ice the way he did after the hit? And, and how big was that for the group for him to come back and set up a goal on his first shift? Yeah, back? you know, obviously when it happens. But he got up, he skated off. That's always step number one. He's not, you know, on the ice and needing assistance. So he, he got hit hard. We t in between periods, I asked him, he's fine. And, and that's, you know, it's easier to laugh about, not laugh, but, so it's okay to get hit in June. This, this is part of the journey. You know, it's it hurts to win, and it's it's not supposed to be easy. So good for him. He, I think he saw some of it coming, but not enough to get out of the way. Uh, it was a clean hit. That's hockey. Um, and we were very, very, I think, as a group, great to see him come back. Not, as, not only does it give us juice, but sometimes it can take away juice from the other team if they, you know, see a guy come back. So uh, it was good for the group. Left side, second row. Bruce Steve Weiner from Associated Press. You said yesterday your power play has been hit or miss all year. Uh, very good tonight. How nice is it to see it clicking at this particular time? Well, you know, if you're playing against one of the most penalized teams in the league in the regular season and the most in the playoffs, so you're going to get on the power play. That, that you know, if you're working to draw your penalties. So you might as well, it, 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 it's important that it's working because if not, it can really you can really lose momentum and they can gain momentum from kills. So that's the importance of it right now. We score five on five. We've won a lot of games without having it to perform at a high level, but it's certainly another weapon or another way to create offense that, uh, you know, this is going to help. So it's, it, it's, it's picking a good time to get going. <clears throat> Left side standing up. Uh, how much of toughness is discipline? Uh, toughness, you know, that's a, it's a, there's probably a lot of things that go into it, the, the description of that, taking a hit to make a play, blocking shots. It's not about fighting and uh, winning your puck battles. Um, to me, discipline is more the mental toughness part of it, right? Knowing that it's easy to retaliate and, and get your sort of instant gratification, 
but you know to, to hold it in takes a lot more and and try to pick your spot later especially if you feel you've been wronged out there and it's a it's, listen hockey can be a violent game so i mean that's why guys lose it their discipline sometimes and we get it but we've done a terrific job i think of getting it back if you know if there's pockets of the game that looks like it might disappear let's get it back uh, to you know sort of reset focus on your next shift and and get back to playing that's a credit to the group it's a mature group and you know, if we have to take a punch in the face, you know, to, to win, and the guys understand there's, there's going to be a little bit of that. Right side, second row. Uh, Dan Rosen, NHL.com. Bruce, do you feel through these first two games that your depth is just overwhelming them? I think our depth has been a strength all year. That's how I'll answer it, and I think it's, I think it's one of the reasons. It is the biggest reason we are still here, why we beat Winnipeg, Edmonton, Dallas, and why we're heading against Florida. If that answers your question, I, I just feel that we have the best team from player one through 20. That's just how I feel. They might have some better players or a better penalty killer power player or, or, or was brought up goaltender. Now we're starting to see that our guy's pretty good too. Um, so I do believe it's, it's been the st- big strength of our team, whether it's overwhelming and that, you know, that's a strong word. I just think it's been really good for us. Left side, third row. Uh, François Gagnon from RDS in Montreal. Uh, Bruce, I just want to come back on discipline. It's one thing to ask the players to be disciplined. It's another thing to get it. And how tough is it to make sure that, you know, you said you, you take a punch in the face and you have to take it? Well, but How much is it tough to make Mar- sure that you get that's it? That's the Martinez, that's the Petrangelo's in the room, you know, that have won. They know. They know what the, 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 the journey, what it, what it involves. And... You may get an opponent, an opponent where it's not required as much. Um, but, you know, typically it is. If you're going to play, a, 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 you know, a series and the temperature goes up, it's just going to be required. I think every guy understands that. Even the, Honestly, even the guys that haven't won, that have been in, you know, had previous experience, they know. They know. That's it. And you got to decide. And, and so that's, that's, on the, that's on the player and, and good for our guys. Really good for our guys. Now, I think if it's projected from the coaching staff and the leaders, yes, that then it should be in, you know, you know, kind of into the team. And I think it started with this team a long time ago. Um, guys, long before I got here, but it was certainly an area that we talked about all season, like stay off the refs, uh, worry about your next shift, play whistle to whistle. We feel that tonight, today's game's a, like t- tonight's game is a man's game. We've, we, we can perform fine in those games. In fact, we can excel in those games, and our guys understand that, and a certain amount of excelling in those games is knowing there is going to be some hits you're going to get on the wrong side of or some battles, and you know, you got to make sure you hit back in those situations and, and win your share of battles, and I think our guys are really good at that. Take two more questions, front left. Danny, <clears throat> Danny Webster, Las Vegas Sun. You, you expected pushback from them, and obviously Aiden had another strong game, but between that and the two goals at the time those goals came, how huge was the first period in setting the tone tonight? Well, you know, they, what happens in the playoffs, usually a team will respond that, that's on the wrong end of the score, right? So we've seen that a lot. We've been there. Um, I don't think Florida's lost consecutive games since the first round at home, if I'm not mistaken, so... You know, you expect that. So scoring first matters. You get it on a power play. I think I, was that the Montour penalty, the the first one too. It's an, you know, it's 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 not a, a it's not a penalty preventing a goal or a scoring chance, right? So you want to take advantage of those, and um, that helps you get going, um, get the next one, and and now maybe you've got the maybe the goaltender has a little doubt in his mind, who's been very very good. So it's all about creating some doubt too for for them because they've, you know, they've been. 
the story of the playoffs. So, you, you know, we want to put some doubt in their mind. And um, I think that's that start did that. Uh, Ed Green, your review journal, you talked about the breakaway save. He also had six on a PK. Before it got out of hand, can you judge Aiden's performance before the margin kind of grew? Well, I mean, the third goal, again, they, they haven't shot, they hadn't shot a puck in the net, you know what I mean? Like, one went in off Aiden himself, stalls the other night, the other one went off White Cloud, The first uh, tonight's the first one went off Marty, so, I mean, he's stopping everything he's seeing, right, which is um, great for us and, and great for him. Um, you know, that's can be a real event. I mean, if you ask Florida, that's, I mean, I didn't see every game of their previous series, but it sounds like their guy was playing unbelievable too, right? It can give your team a huge lift and you can relax. Not every mistake is magnified in those situations. So, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's what's required this time of year. We would lot, we would not, we don't want to rely on him over and over. I think later in the second period, we got a little bit like that. We took some penalties and made some, like, let's not put it all on him, but there's going to be stretches of games. I've said this, we're an imperfect team where we need him to, to be that guy, and he has been. That is Vegas Golden Knights head coach Bruce Cassidy following his team's 7-2 win against the Florida Panthers last night. They now lead the series two games to none, heading to Florida for game three on Thursday night. This is Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. The big news of the day. Big three-team trade between the Flyers, Blue Jackets, and Kings. More details coming down from that as the afternoon goes on. We'll also uh, dive more into the Stanley Cup final here from uh, Panthers head coach Paul Maurice following his team's defeat in game number two. We've got to take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Jays, rough start to their series against the Houston Astros and more struggles from Alec Manoa. We'll break it all down with Show Ali from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. That's next here on Sportsnet 960, fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Corey jolts the batter. The pitch, and he slams it out deep left field, hooking towards the line, and that's gone. Corey Jolks jumps on the first pitch, and he drills a grand slam. Number five on the season for Corey Jolks. He's a Houston hero, born and raised. And he just put the Astros on top, 6-0 in the first. Not an ideal start on the mound for Alec Manoa. That Corey Jokes grand slam. The cherry on top of a disappointing outing for the Jays' young uh, thrower. Just uh, .1 innings pitched last night. Seven hits, six runs, six of them earned, one walk, zero strikeouts for Alec Manoa. Jays fall 11-4 to the Houston Astros as they kick off a series at home against the second-place team in the AL West in Houston. Welcome back to the program. It is Logan Gordon along with you, another edition of Sportsnet today, and uh, chatting all things Toronto Blue Jays. And Jays said to get back on the horse against the Astros tonight. They'll turn to Kevin Gosman. But uh, the big worry for the team right now is what has happened uh, this season to Alec Manoa and how they can get him back on track. And uh, whenever we chat Toronto Blue Jays, uh, we love going to this guy down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Guest hotline from our sister station, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. We welcome in Show Ali this afternoon. Show, thanks as always for the time, man. How are you? Good, Logan. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing awesome, man. Thank you for joining us as always. Uh, the topic of the day for most Jays fans right now is uh, what is happening with Alec Manoa. Another subpar start last night. I guess that's probably 
being polite to him. Uh, what's the worry level like uh, from your point of view as we uh, deal with another disappointing start from Alec Manoa? Yeah, it's tough, right? You, you mentioned it. He only went a third of an inning, gave up the grand slam, which you heard. The, uh, the, I believe the entire Astros order batted around yesterday before he got the uh, very, very, very early hook. I think, like, for me, the worry level isn't even about, like, certainly the rest of the rotation with Gosman going tonight and Bassett and Barrios for the rest of this series against the Astros. Like, you want to win these games. But I think there, there's a larger worry level of, like, what throwing him back out there every five days could do not only to his like general mental state and confidence, but just what it would mean for his career going forward. Right. It's not as though he's going to get traded or DFA'd in in any, at any time here, but it's just, you look at the body language and you look at his face and how he speaks to the media afterwards as well. And it's just clearly not going well. Like I just, I can't help but think, but he, he just has to, at this point, go down to Buffalo, take a trip to Dunedin, maybe even not, not as a punishment, but just to get his mind right and reset a little bit, every, every player runs into these things. I think sometimes we forget he's only 25 years old. So like, there are many, many 25-year-old uh, players who have gotten called up and sent back down. It happens all the time, and they come back, and most of the time they're better for it. So even if it's just a break, and even if we know there's not a lot in the farm system to replace him at this point, it just I feel like <laughs> last night must have been the tipping point because you can't keep throwing him out there once every five days. Like I think his next start right now is, is technically scheduled for the Saturday against the Minnesota twins at Rogers center. And even against a, a scuffling twins team offensively, I don't know how you, how you want to take that chance really. From a technical standpoint, what's going wrong or what have you seen that's going wrong with Manoa in these starts? He's just, he just can't locate the strike zone. Like, my goodness. Like, mm-hmm. he, his, his best pitch last year, Logan, was the slider. And his slider was just filthy. It was, I'm not going to go so far as to say it was unhittable, but it really tied batters in bunches. And the crazy thing is, while he can use it sometimes as a putaway pitch, it's just, it's not locking guys up as much anymore because he's just not landing it where he wants to with the same amount of consistency. And then when you look at all of his other pitches, most of them are just okay instead of being above average. And when you, when you effectively lose your best pitch in every situation and it's not available to you anymore, obviously a lot of other pitchers might lean on their other stuff as well. And he's not locating with those pitches. The velo is down as well. So all of those things I think are just snowballing. And then that all goes back to how it snowballs mentally. Like I remember a couple of starts ago, it might not have been the last start, like not last night, but might not have been the one before maybe two starts or three starts ago. But I remember he spoke to the media and I forgot if it was Hazel or Arden or someone asked him the question, like, what are you, or where are you at mentally wise? Are you stuck in a certain place? And he said, he, I think the exact words he used were instead of being in, I have to throw a strike mode. I'm in a don't throw a ball mode. And I remember hearing from a number of different former pitchers that have come on the network in the last couple of weeks talking about how that can be a really dangerous place to be because as pitchers, you have to believe you're like the baddest thing to ever step out on a field, that your stuff is extremely nasty of every single pitch. And he is just struggling to not throw a ball. And that's not the mindset you want. So I can't help but think that the whole going down to the minors might just be good, even just from a mindset stuff, even if his maybe his mechanics reset a little bit that way too, but just to get a bit of a break, I'm sure his mind is racing like a million times an hour. 
So I, I gotta, I gotta think that's the, what's best for him. Yeah. So you are, you are one of the people that would be in favor of sending him down. You're not too worried about. It. I guess the, the only real argument I've heard against sending him down show is who comes up and takes his place in the rotation. Yeah, it's a, it's a valid question because I, th- I think at this point, if you had asked me before yesterday, I would have said, yeah, that's it's a tough sell because, like you say, there's like basically no one down in the minors. I think Drew Hutchison who, to be also fair, had not been pitching well, but he, he opted out. So there's just not a lot of upper minor depth, if you want to call it that, to mm. replace him. I think the, the only real options really are to see whatever you have in Zach Thompson, who's one of the minor leaguers down there, or which seems more likely. And I was talking about this with Ben and Arden the other day. Ben and Smith are at the Letters Pals. But they were basically saying that if there was a quick change even just for one start, like a phantom IL stint, one start or two starts max, the most likely scenario would be bringing up Bowden Francis from the minors and then piggybacking a Bowden Francis start with like Trevor Richards, who you have seen. And I know he gave a couple of homers last night, but you still see Richards being used in relatively high leverage on one hand and then also going three innings. On the other hand, so with Mitch White still struggling, and he's, I don't think he's really viewed as a starter anymore either. If that's the case, then it certainly seems like if they did decide before Saturday to send Manoa down, it would most likely be about in Francis slash Richard start. The only problem, and this is another complication of everything, which makes everything even less ideal, is <laughs> that the simple fact that Bowden Francis isn't on the 40, man. Yep. So you'd have to DFA someone, essentially, or expose someone to waivers just to get him on the 40 man and then call him up. So it is, it's a little tough because Ross Atkins has to do some roster maneuvering here, but I, I really do think like beyond Manoa having to get back into form, the roster construction aspect of it, like it's, it's kind of like out of John Schneider's hands, right? Like it's not really up to him. It's, it's kind of up to Ross Atkins to decide like who has to stay and who has to go and what's best for these guys long-term. It, the Manoa story has been one of few negatives to talk about with this team lately heading into this series against Houston. They came off of a, a couple series wins, including a sweep of the Mets, and everything had, had kind of turned the way of the Blue Jays lately, and they've sort of moved off of what was a less-than-stellar May into a really good start to June here show. What have you noticed as the main differences for this team uh, after what was, you know, let's be honest, a pretty lackluster month for them in May. It saw some losses to divisional opponents. They feel like they've sort of got back to playing the way we know they can play. You know, the crazy thing is, is that when you look at their record outside of the AL East, it's terrific. It's like a phenomenal record, especially against the NL East. My goodness, they just destroy NL East opponents for whatever reason. But the, uh, the rest of the division, it's a, like you're saying, it's a, a very dismal record. I think you have seen still some base running mistakes. That's for sure. But you're seeing, I think, more and more the offense take shape in a way you probably expected it to. Bo Bichette, I mean, the last time you and I talked, I think, we discussed the idea of Bo Bichette being, like, should he be rightly getting AL MVP chance? And I think since we've last spoken, Logan, that's only continued. Yeah. Like, he's been really, really good. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is starting to hit as we know he is capable of, and I know there was the discussion of, is Vladdy an elite player, or is he just a very, very, very good player? And either way, I think you're in a good, a good spot because you want to have very, very, very good players on your roster as well. But even going back a couple games, maybe like slightly before the beginning of June, Vladdy has started to turn things around with more multi-hit games. He's, he's really you know barreling down on 
specific pitches. He's not expanding as much as he was even just a couple weeks before that. Even with Matt Chapman coming back down to earth, you are seeing Dalton Varsho and Alejandro Kirk step it up a little bit. So the offense getting back to where you thought it would be. Now that we don't have to talk about runners in scoring position being an issue every single game, you look at the offense by most metrics, like by slugging percentage, by batting average, by on-base percentage, they're all in the top 10 or top five for a lot of these metrics, which is nice because, like you were saying, Logan, <laughs> that, that stretch in early to mid-May was, uh, was an ugly one. So it's nice to see them play up to their potential. How uh, important has it been for Alejandro Kirk to be more of the player that we've known him to be as a member of the Jays and to do that while also catching the majority of the night show? I think people sometimes underestimate the the stress level that can go into that when you're a catcher and you're you know trying to be productive offensively but also trying to work with your pitchers and, and try to come up with a solid game plan inning to inning. He took on a lot of added pressure when Danny Jansen went to the I.L. He did, and, and I think one thing we talk about with Kirk, especially when, okay, especially if you're comparing Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk in terms of what their abilities are, it's that Danny Jansen's game-calling ability and pitch framing and so on are things that Alejandro Kirk is still getting better at, and I'll give Kirk credit because he's gotten better very quickly in a very short period of time. We talk about youth with some of these guys. We forget Kirk is also quite young, and he still has a lot of growing to do as well, even after he was the starting catcher in the for the AL in the All-Star game last year. Um, but it's, it's true. I mean, when Jansen went down, I, there was a concern for me as to whether or not his game-calling ability would be up to snuff and then whether he would be able to, with all those added responsibilities, get the offense going as well. I think the offensive question for Kirk is still, like the jury is still out perhaps on this season because obviously last year we saw him do it in a tremendous way in the first half of the year. And obviously last, the second half of the year last year was, was a dismal one for him. But even with the responsibilities on him, I, I think we have seen he has a great eye. And we also know that much like Brandon Belt, honestly, Brandon Belt had an off start to the year. I think like right up until the beginning of May, the entire month of April, people were ready to cut him from the roster. And even he had said that he had not gotten up to speed in spring training with the amount of plate appearances slash at-bats that he had wanted for, for a veteran guy just to feel like he was in rhythm. And I think the same probably could be said for Alejandro Kirk because he was very late to spring training, obviously for a very good reason, given that he became a father for, for the first time. So can't fault the guy too much for that. No. But he, I think he was still getting back into the rhythm of the game. And we're starting to now see – Everything come around for him, even if you do want to see a little bit more from, from the bat as well. Uh, you mentioned the guy I was going to ask you about next, and, and that is Brandon Belt. And patience seems to be paying off for John Schneider and the rest of the Jays. Like you mentioned, there were people thinking, look, this was a guy that was over the hill. Jays tried it, didn't work out. Uh, we'll move on. But he's been one of the best hitters in baseball over the last number of weeks. He's just been making contact with with everything, he's such an, a professional hitter. What does Brandon Belt add to this Jays lineup when he's playing like this show? Well, it for sure is a, is a lefty bat that you desperately need. Because I remember conversations we were having last year about shopping lists and what's at the top of the Jays shopping list and, and lefty bats for the offense being one of those major things. And obviously Dalton Varsho was a big part of that as well. But Brandon Belt has brought, I think, not only – uh, a more stable lefty bat, but also just like from a, from a clubhouse perspective, you can see him, you know, he doesn't get too high or too low. And we've seen him get ejected once this year and 
frankly, in that last game against the Mets in which he hit that two-run bomb, basically to the apple in the Mets outfield, uh, you, you can see him. He'd gotten a run up unjustly, I think, <laughs> to put it lightly, on the, in the first two plate appearances. And he didn't get ejected, whereas sometimes I wonder if that's also the difference between uh, a vet and a younger player. Like maybe a younger player wouldn't have held himself back and gotten ejected after the second awful strike call. And him as a, as a guy who's won World Series, who knows how important his presence is, not just from a, uh, an offensive perspective to keep the game going. And obviously he did, uh, he did, he's the one who provided the game-winning runs in the end. But just from a stabilizing presence in the dugout as well for a, what is a very young team, um, it's, it's just nice to see him be with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or be with Bo Bichette or be with some of the younger guys who are obviously prodigious talents, but they, you know, you want to see some leadership in the clubhouse as well. And I think after all the trades in the off season, you're kind of wondering like, who is going to be that guy, maybe apart from Springer or apart from Matt Chapman. And Brandon Bell has brought that in space to this clubhouse. He's been great. And his bat has been heating up. It's been great to see. So I hope it continues because he's been batting pretty high in the order too, right? Logan, he's been batting like cleanup and mm -hmm. he's been batting fifth a lot of the time as well. So with that being the case, I definitely hope that uh, it continues because having a lefty bat to break things up after the Springers, Bows, and Vladdy's of the world definitely seems to give the opposing pitcher something to think about when they're on the mound. Uh, about the rest of the series with Houston, obviously you didn't get off to a good start yesterday with Manoa's struggles, but you're back at it today with Kevin Gosman on the mound. I know they're not leading their division show, but does the Houston Astros still present a good barometer for this Jays team to sort of compare themselves to, knowing that this is the reigning World Series champions? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it, you got to remember, too, the, this version, the 2023 version of the Houston Astros, despite the fact that they won the World Series last year, they're, they're a little different in the sense that they've had just a whack of injuries. And then not only to position players, but to pitchers, right? Like, I think in this series, we basically we saw Brandon Bielak last night, who was basically filling in for Luis Garcia. And then we're, I think, going to see Ronel Blanco, uh, who is in, in you know, the, the, the rotation has been kind of rejigged a little bit, but no Jose or Keedy. I think we are going to see Framber Valdez, who was one of the other AL Cy Young finalists last year as well, and he's nasty. But like you, you're missing a lot of the guys who have been very, very good for the Astros over a long period of time, including when they won the World Series last year. So the, I think it is important. And now that the Manoa start, I don't want to say like out of the way, but now that it's behind us, when you have Gosman, Bassett, and Barrios, who right now are probably your best, second best, <laughs> third best starters you kind of have to take advantage of those matchups. Like you're not always going to see the Astros depleted. And despite the fact that in their division, the Texas Rangers are just crushing other teams by like insane margins. The Astros are not that far out of the division lead or of a wildcard spot. So you really do have to take care of business right now because these games with the balanced schedule go a little further, right? Like you have to beat the teams that are in front of you or you're competing with four wildcard spots and so on. So you, you hope that with the Jays already in a, a, a oh nothing hole you, or a one nothing hole, you want to see them get at least two wins out of this four-game series. And you know what? With Gosman and Bassett on the mound the next couple of days, you have a very good chance to do that. Uh, looking forward to it tonight. Looking forward to the rest of this series. Should be an interesting one for the Jays. They put Gosman on the mound. Uh, Hunter Brown going for Houston. It is a 5.07 Calgary. First pitch, you can catch this one across the Sportsnet television networks or, of course, listen across the Sportsnet radio network right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan Show. Thanks, as always, for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll chat again soon, hey? Yeah, anytime, Logan. Stay safe out there in Alberta, and I'll talk to you whenever. Take care, pal. Show Ali joining us.
down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline from our sister station, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, pre and post games. Uh, you hear him on our Blue Jays broadcast all the time, along with the voice of the Jays, uh, Ben Wagner. Another uh, chance to hear them on the radios tonight. 507 again, first pitch. Jays and Astros, game two of this series after the Jays dropped a stinker last night, 11 4 uh, in the series opener. Alec Manoa just going uh, one third of an inning. Uh, that's just not going to get it done. What's next for him, for this team? It would seem pretty simple at this point from most people's perspective uh, to take advantage of his contract status and send him down uh, to AAA. But as we talked about the show there, not really any options that come off the top of your head that you want to bring up and, and put into his spot in the rotation. So uh, pitching depth, uh, a bit of a concern for the Jays right now. But the good news is Gosman, Barrios, Bassett, the rest of these guys have been going really good for the Jays. Manila's been probably one of the only disappointments so far for the Jays starting rotation. We'll see if uh, Gosman can continue his good start to the year. Rocking just a 4-3 and three record, but a 2.76 ERA. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. This wraps up Hour 1. On the other side, i got a busy Hour 2 for you, including a WPCA report and... A stamps report. We'll check in with the Calgary Stampeders as they get set for their week one matchup with the BC Lions. All of that coming up around the corner here on Sportsnet 960, the fan.